0: The Guardian. Hi, I'm Phoebe Weston.
1: I'm Patrick Greenfield, and we're Biodiversity and Environment Reporters for The Guardian. We work together on a project called Age of Extinction, so all our work centres around catastrophic biodiversity loss and ways we can tackle it.
0: This week, we're taking over Science Weekly again, this time to talk about fungi.
2: Without fungi, the terrestrial ecosystems of our planet really would not work. Nearly every plant on the planet has fungi attached to the roots.
1: That's Limbodi, who we'll be hearing more from later.
0: Fungi are crucial to life on Earth. But they're posing a challenge to those researching them. And that is part of a bigger trend.
1: It's an example of something Phoebe and I have both been looking into. What does it mean for the environment and how we care for it if we don't know what species are even there? Phoebe, you're the one obsessed with fungi. Where do we start with this episode?
0: Patrick, to talk about fungi, I need to take you first to where I grew up. My parents' farm. I'm walking through the woods there with my mum, Fidelity.
3: Look at those primroses down there. Just coming through. Look, there's a piece of dog's mercury there. Oh, yeah. That's an indicator. Do you remember you learnt this when you were little? What's his name? It's an indicator of an ancient woodland. Yeah, well done. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Glad something stuck with you. We're not just going out for a walk because it's a beautiful day. We are on the hunt for fungi. And find some first on the base of an oak tree. It looks like someone's just thrown up on it. Oh, yeah. It has. The consistency of whipped cream or probably over whipped cream, it looks pretty viscous.
3: Yeah, it does. It actually also looks like it's drying out now. But it's, I bet it's been there for a while, not Yeah, it
0: has been there for a while. It was definitely slimier before. Um, when um, I played in these woods as a kid, I never really noticed the fungi, but now I'm seeing it everywhere I look. We could, this, look what's under that part. Yeah. Oh, wow. Another one. We like found a rotting ashes. log. We've got these white threads running through the log and these, I think, are the mycelium of the fungi and that is what's breaking it apart. I've never I mean, seen the mycelium before like that. I'm going to try and just
3: take a photograph of this, I think that's amazing. Yeah.
0: The you, fungi am I... isn't just what we see over ground and poking out of the wood. These mycelium, the thread-like parts of fungi, stretch into the wood and ease it apart. Other forms of life can colonise in the cracks. And this is what's partly allowing this log to decompose. But let's, should we keep walking and see what we can find? let
3: definitely. Because I,
0: I follow my mum past a small waterfall.
3: Ooh, that's a great log. This is absolutely plastered in a fungi. I mean, I wouldn't begin to know what it is for you. I think it's lots of different types. I think yeah. it's almost as like if they're going moldy themselves, isn't it, some of them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, very, they're all frilly and kind of
0: coming out of the stump in different shades of green, white, yellow, orange, all, all again the, I think they're part of the, po- well some of these are part of the polypore family. Which is we can't be certain about any of the fungi we're identifying and this becomes a bit of a theme
3: in our outing. And then next to it, these ones. So what are these? These are really rather pretty, I think, with their pale outline. They're like little shells stuck onto the log. I think that's a turkey tail. Oh, do you? Yeah, I
0: think that's a turkey tail. And I think this is hairy curtain cross, but it could be crowded parchment. There's a reason it's so difficult to put a name on the fungi we see. It's much harder to identify them than to identify other groups like plants and insects. Even experts struggle with this. But for amateurs like me and my mum, it's really challenging. Different species of fungi can look incredibly similar. For many, you can't even tell them apart with the naked eye. And the only way for me to get a good look at the different physical features is under a microscope. We head into the dining room to do that.
1: Hang on, your mum keeps a microscope in the Western dining room?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to look at soil from the farm. I know it does sound a bit weird.
3: so Sophie, let's look at these under the microscope. So, this one we've got here is one of those bracket ones, which I think you said was called, called, you thought was a sort of turkey tail thing. So, we snapped it off, and I'm actually putting it so it's upside down on the slide. So, we just put it under the microscope like that. Turn it on.
0: My mum turns The the knobs on the
3: microscope. To get
0: it into focus.
3: So, you will be amazed at this. So, what looked like a perfectly white underside to that fungi? Well, if you look at it here, just get it into focus for you. You might need to focus. Try to take my more? glasses off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you need to change. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that amazing? Can you see all those little orange,
4: knobbly wow. things? Wow.
3: It looks like tiny grains of
0: orange rice. Yeah. It's the markers like this, yeah. undetectable to the human eye, that can help us identify the species of fungi we're looking at. But even under the microscope, and seeing this at four times what humans normally see, we're still not certain. Yeah. We take a look at another one. Much sort of, this one is basically the second one, which is the one that like Martian landscape. quite like s- chunky skin. Yeah, that's like your description. Just to repeat, neither of us is a mycologist. But even for real experts, the microscope isn't always enough. A species of fungi is often misidentified as something else, and scientists are continually reclassifying fungi and giving them new species names. Because two fungi can have almost identical physical characteristics but be different species. We only find this out by looking at things like spore shape under a microscope, or even looking at DNA, But more on that in the next episode. What I want to look at in this episode is what can happen when we get our fungi all muddled up. Because it's not just about being wrong, there are consequences.
1: And Phoebe, this trend to reclassify fungi, is this something new?
0: Advancements in technology have definitely sped up this work in the past decades for both fungi and other organisms. But the issues with classifying species of fungi is centuries old. And to see just how old, I took a trip to London's Natural History Museum.
4: Hi, God,
0: Phoebe.
4: Hi Phoebe, nice nice to see you. Very
0: nice to meet you, how are you?
4: I'm doing fine, how
0: are you? Very well, thanks. Gothamy Virakun works with lichens at the museum. The body of a lichen is actually mostly fungal material and lichen are also notoriously difficult to classify. Gothamy fetches a folder from a cupboard.
4: Yeah, we are opening one white folder here And that is one Ah. of Darwin's original lichen. (laughs) And you can see this is collected in 1833 by Charles Darwin. And this is his 409th specimen.
0: I'm looking at something like a pressed flower that has grown crusty and brown over the years. It's flat on paper and about the size of my hand. When Darwin collected this centuries ago, it would have been greenish-brown with bright yellow margins.
4: Most of the classified names given originally by Darwin, using only the morphological characters, were not so accurate. Yeah. But science is always developing mm-hmm. and it is changing. So this particular specimen collected in 1833 was taxonomically revised by another lichenologist who worked in the museum in 1991. Are many of the species that Darwin collected since been renamed? Yes, most of them. Most
0: of them. So...
1: Most of them have been renamed? Phoebe, when did this start?
0: For some of them, it was basically immediately. Next to his specimens, Darwin's written notes in really neat handwriting.
4: So as soon as he collected it from the, the habitat, he may have thought, oh, this is this. But when he took it to his chambers and maybe use his lens more carefully mm. and look at the specimen more closely, he had changed his mind. See, he scribbled and wrote another name. So what-
0: and now Gothamy is picking up where Darwin left off.
4: Following the new taxonomic revisions, mm. I corrected at least nine names. Wow. And well, How does
0: it feel like to correct Darwin?
4: I feel a little bit sorry. <laughs> Every time I pass him, I, <laughs> I tell him, I corrected one more. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> but Gotham accepts the fact that her classifications could also be corrected in the future. Scientists are always finding new ways to find differences between species. And we're nowhere near classifying all the different species of fungi. This is something that I spoke to Professor Lynn Boddy
2: about. I'm Lynne Boddy, I'm Professor of Mycology at Cardiff University. I'm an ecologist, particularly fungal ecology.
0: So, Lynn, how many fungi are there in the world and how many have we classified?
2: Well, we don't know exactly how many fungi there are. Estimates range between something like two to four or five or even six million species. And of those, we probably only named and classified about 140,000.
0: And do you think that any of those have been classified incorrectly?
2: Well, I think that there's a lot more that we need to find out about those fungi which we have classified and named because there are things called cryptic species and that is when you think you've got one species but in fact there are quite a lot of them which look almost the same.
1: So I get it, Phoebe, that this classification is difficult. This must be annoying, but how can this issue have anything to do with the wider ecosystem?
0: I had the same question for Lynn.
2: So I think the first thing to understand is that being able to identify or name a fungus doesn't give you instant knowledge and understanding. To get that knowledge and understanding, you have to examine their biology and ecology. However, knowing names is very important for quite a lot of reasons. From a conservation perspective, it's important to be able to discriminate and identify species because different species have different ecologies. Sometimes even closely related species might have different ecologies. So if we're trying to look after that species or to investigate it and determine why it is rare, for example, we need to know what it is. We need to be able to separate it and identify it and discriminate it from other taxa.
0: And I understand fungi are important indicator species. How does identifying them make them useful as indicator species? Why is it important that we know what fungi is what?
2: Well, we need to know when is a species a species. We need to be able to name fungi so that we can record what species are there. Now, actually, we're very fortunate in that there are quite long records of species distributions and occurrences. So many... Amateur field mycologists have gone out in the past, recorded what they found. So they've got the name of the fungus, where they found it, what tree species, for example, it was fruiting on, you know, exactly where it is. And this has allowed us to look back at those records and to find out whether patterns of distribution or currents or fruiting times have changed. And indeed, we certainly know that fruiting of fungi is changing, the times when fruit bodies emerge is changing, when they disappear is changing, and this is indicating to us that climate change is actually affecting fungi. We know that there are differences in different ecosystems, so it can give us a good indication of, of what is going on in a system.
0: And so presumably in terms of how knowing the identity helps that, We basically need to know what we're looking at if we want to use them in data.
2: Absolutely. If we want to record fungi, we need to be able to attach a name to them. So, if we want to keep records both now and to look at records from the past and to look at what's happening in the future, we need to know the names of each fungus, where it is, what it's doing, etc. etc. Names are important.
0: Brilliant. And could you tell us why fungi are so important to ecosystems? For example, if you're in a wood, you may not be aware of how crucial fungi is to the health
2: of the woodland. Without fungi, the terrestrial ecosystems of our planet really would not work. And that's for two main reasons. Firstly, nearly every plant on the planet, and certainly in a woodland, every plant or almost every plant has fungi attached to the roots and it is the fungi which extend from the roots into the soil as very fine filaments. It is them that soak up water and mineral nutrients and pass those to the plant and in return the plant provides the fungus with sugars. So this is a crucial part of the plant. You should never think of a plant as just a plant. It never is. It's always or almost always a plant plus very many fungi. So that's the first reason why fungi are crucial. The second reason is that fungi are the great decomposers, the great recyclers on our planet. If it wasn't for fungi, we'd be up to our armpits in dead stuff. And apart from the inconvenience of that, all of the nutrients would begin to be locked up in that dead material and wouldn't be available for plants to carry on growing.
1: Phoebe, Lynn's comment about fungi being connected to almost all plants, just how reliant are plants on fungi?
0: Well, to explore this, I wanted to look into some new work. So I found someone looking at previously unknown research between plants and fungi.
5: I'm Sylvia Pressel. I'm a principal researcher in botanical diversity at the Natural History Museum in London, specialising in bryophytes and their interactions with fungi.
1: Bryophytes, like mosses, hornwort, liverwort.
0: Exactly. And the reliance that bryophytes and
5: all plants have on fungi is hundreds of millions of years old. The mutually beneficial partnerships that form between not only bryophytes but the rest of land plants and fungi are one of the most important terrestrial symbiosis today. And are also thought to have allowed the first land plants to colonize the land masses some 500 million years ago. So, land plants evolved from freshwater algae. And it's thought that the first plants, they were really small, and they didn't have through roots, but they have simple rhizome systems with rhizoids and the idea also that, therefore, these little plants had to extract hard-to-get nutrients from what were also very poorly developed early soils. So by forming this partnership with fungi, the fungi really allowed plants to obtain these really hard-to-get nutrients from soils. And in actual fact, it's thought that by this partnership with fungi is what propelled the evolution of roots. And that led to, you know, the further diversifications of plants. So an extremely important partnership, both in the past and today. We've known about this partnership,
0: known as a symbiotic relationship, for a long time. But Sylvia and her
5: team have made some new discoveries. What we've discovered, my collaborators and I, is that initially bryophytes, now we know that this applies to other groups of plants, in fact, engage with a wider repertoire of fungi than we thought so far. So basically, we discovered that bryophytes also form symbiosis with these poorly known groups of fungi called Mucoromycotina. So this discovery really tells us that both what went on in the ancient past, i.e. the symbiotic options that were available to the earliest land plants, but also in today modern ecosystems, are more varied, and we are also finding, discovering important features of these fungi. For example, they seem to have an important role in plant nitrogen nutrition. Now, we're still conducting fundamental research on this symbiosis, but the applications for the future are huge, for instance, in sustainable agriculture, or indeed, conservation and habitat restoration.
0: And the reason that we didn't know about it before is down to issues with identifying this fungi called Mucoromycotina.
5: This is a very important finding because we simply didn't know this fungi stayed under the radar for a very long time due to technical difficulties in identifying them. And because people thought that they were another type of fungi, arbusculomycorrhizal fungi, They've been studied for a very long time. So they were sort of abandoned for decades with not much happening. And our discovery, this fungi form symbiosis with bryophytes, has essentially opened a new field of research.
1: Hold on. There was a whole relationship happening between bryophytes and certain fungi that we didn't know about because we'd misidentified this fungi.
0: Yeah, And just another reminder that we can't research something properly if we don't know what we're looking at. And this research could prove important in a project Sylvia is working on, the restoration of a forest and heathland habitat in Surrey, just southwest of London. It's called Thursley National Nature Reserve, and it suffered two major fires recently. She's monitoring how bryophytes and other plants
5: and fungi recover. They have to build up from scratch, but we don't know how much of the fungal diversity is retained in the soil during the fire, obviously it depends also on the intensity of type of fire. And do you think that this
0: forest, and I suppose other forests as well, could be healthy without this bryophyte-fungal
5: relationship? No, I don't think so. As I said, this is a fundamental relationship. So. You wouldn't have forests, you wouldn't have most of the crops and (laughs) food you eat, and you wouldn't indeed have the environments on land that we have today if it weren't for this symbiosis.
1: So Phoebe, if fungi are so important, and if properly identifying and properly classifying fungi matters so much, how are people hoping to make identification easier?
0: Well, there are some great amateur mycologists who really know their stuff. But while this is an enthusiastic community, they can't do everything. There are too few people qualified to determine the likely millions of fungi species in the world.
1: This is part of what scientists call the taxonomic impediment.
0: Exactly. And when those who have this specialist knowledge die, their ability to identify species dies with them. But there's relatively new technology that's been letting people identify species in a whole new way. It's something Gothamy showed me back at the Natural History Museum. Instead of looking at physical characteristics, she looks at DNA. So this is a Saxicolus
4: lichen. Most of the Saxicolus lichens won't produce enough morphological characters to classify them or
0: name them. Gothamy uses a razor blade to cut off a tiny
4: bit of the lichen. A special thing is that each and every lichen should be cut with a fresh blade. Oh. You, can't mix the, you can't mix the material. So after I use it, I have to throw it away into this special bin here. I never use it again. She looks at it under
0: a powerful microscope that has 100 times magnification, enough for her to see the fungi mycelium trapped inside. Once she knows she's got a good specimen, she puts it in a small plastic tube. It then goes off to other experts who would check its species based on a segment of its genetic code. And this, as you know, Patrick, is called DNA barcoding.
1: And that's what we'll be looking at in the next episode.
2: They wanted to say, here is what we think an appropriate way is to address this crisis we have of so many species in the world that haven't yet been named. And in a sense, threw down a gauntlet.
1: You've been listening to the Age of Extinction takeover of Science Weekly. I'm Patrick Greenfield.
0: I'm Phoebe Weston, and we are Biodiversity and Environment Reporters for The Guardian.
1: This episode was produced by Tiffany Cassidy. The executive producer was Max Sanderson. And the commissioning editor for Age of Extinction was Max Bernardo. The Age of Extinction project is supported by the Band Foundation, the WIS Foundation and the Oak Foundation.
0: If you want to find out more about this content, head over to the podcast page at theguardian.com.
1: We've received lots of lovely emails since we started these podcasts, so keep them coming. And if you have any thoughts, feedback or ideas for future episodes, drop us a line. The email is scienceweekly at theguardian.com.
0: We'll be back on Thursday. See you then.